You're listening to the KB Podcast Network. <laughs> Coming up on this episode of the Kingdom Bringer Podcast. You know, the ministry world is interesting. People, churches, businesses, whatever. And he said, everyone seems to have a vision for the beginning, but a lot of people don't seem to have vision for the end. In Southern California, at least like in our tribe, I wanted to make people feel proud of Jesus. And that galvanizes a room, it, 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 it can inspire, it can give hope. And she was so, so badly affected by the prolonged abuse and neglect um, that she actually ended up passing away. Yo, 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 what's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Kingdom Bringer Podcast. Good to be back with you. Thanks for joining us. Excited, excited, excited for this episode. I had the amazing privilege and honor to sit down and have an awesome conversation with one of my musical heroes, Mr. Tommy Green of the Christian hardcore band Sleeping Giant. Sleeping Giant's one of my favorite bands of all time. You want to talk about worship and hardcore packed into one, it was Sleeping Giant. They were a band for 12 years. Recently, 2018, I believe, was their final farewell shows. They did a show in Dallas, and they did a show in California to close things down. They did five albums together as a band. They were known. They were always known as like a ministry band. And for some people, that's a negative thing. But for Tommy Green, it's a lifestyle of ministry. It's a kingdom-carrying, kingdom-bringing lifestyle, and he just so happened to get saved, and he liked hardcore music, and he lived that life, and it was exciting to be able to sit down and talk with him. This is how it all came about. I reached out to him on Instagram, and I'm kind of persistent with this kind of stuff. He said, yes, man, let's do it, and so I continued to hound him. I'm that guy. I'm persistent. You tell me, yes, we're going to make something happen. And so we finally got together, did a Zoom call. It was amazing. It was fantastic to catch up. I had so many things that I wanted to talk about. For those of you who know Tommy Green, you may know about and have heard about his testimony. We didn't get into much of that. We didn't get into his his, uh, coming up story, but you can find it on YouTube. Just type in Tommy Green, Sleeping Giant, Testimony, whatever. But there's some really cool stories that... I really wish we could have had time to get into, but we didn't. We did talk about Sleeping Giant. We talked about the band. We talked about its graceful exit from the uh, hardcore scene and its, its final farewell shows. We talk about the Rev community. The Lord led them to, to start this community of people, and they raise up leaders. They raise up um, pastors and teachers and prophetic people to, to run these really house churches home churches, home gatherings, and they're a community together. It's called Rev Community. He's in Salt Lake City, Utah. 
And so we also talk about the purpose of this episode was to talk about his efforts and his passion to destroy human trafficking. And he has a, an organization called Run Against Traffic that we discuss his heart behind that movement and, and current, his current state of where he's at with, with ministry with him and his wife, Chrissy. They've got four children and just what a sweetheart, what a stud, what a dude. So thankful that he sat down with me. We talk about all of that stuff. This episode, like the ones previous, are brought to you by Podcast Gear for Beginners. If you want to start a podcast, I'm asking you to do two things. Reach out to me. I'd love to help launch you in the right direction. I'd love to help produce. I'd love to help you dream a little bit about that podcast. And then I want you to visit podcastgearforbeginners.com. You can find all the gear that you would need, all the gear that you will uh, fits whatever budget you have, whatever budget you want. You can find that gear on this website. Check it out, podcastgearforbeginners.com. That'd be fantastic. As always, don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, and share this episode. If you're a hardcore music lover, if you're a Sleeping Giant fan, if you're a fan of Tommy Green, get this out there. This was a fun episode. You will just hear Kingdom coming through this guy. He loves people well, and he loves what he's doing. He loves his wife. He loves his kids. Pretty good dude. Pretty good dude. So check this out. I hope you guys have an amazing time listening to this episode. Please, please, please share it with your friends. Here is my interview with Tommy Green of Sleeping Giant. This is Kingdom Against Traffic. Check it out and be blessed. Appreciate you coming on here with me. Yeah, man, no problem. I'm a big fan. I'll start off with oh. that. Like I love, I love Sleeping Giant. I love uh, really everything that you put out and do. I'm a, I'm a huge supporter of. So. Oh, thanks, man. I appreciate you coming on and kind of sharing your heart with me. I want to talk about a couple things, but mostly I want to really hit on the run against traffic. If that's cool. Is that yeah. still something? I mean, you're still pretty heavy in that, right? Yeah, man, it's been a slow building, but it's a long-term kind of project. So we've yeah. been, yeah, we're still still very much involved in working with people and doing the stuff. So right on. Well, I'll get right to it. I don't want to keep you keep you up. So cool, man. Thank you. I want to talk about Sleeping Giant. Okay, I want to talk about two things. One, the idea of you guys quitting. I heard you do an interview where you talked about you guys quitting on your own terms, like you called it quits when things were good. Can you 
discuss that a little bit? Like, why was that important to you? And do you feel like you, you pulled that off? Yeah. The reason it was, the reason it was important was because the band was made up of a bunch of, of individual, you know, people and, and we all gave, you know, significant time, energy, you know, we gave, we gave a part of our life into a thing and everybody that was a part of the band, you know, for the, the bulk of the, the band, you know, there's like four or five of us really. And for all those people, they sacrificed a big part of their lives. They gave offering, offering of themselves, even if it was like offering and worship, they gave it to this project called sleeping giant. And, you know, every band goes through like ebbs and flows. And so because the lineup of the band had changed, um, we got like three records in and then two of the main people were at different parts of their life and just were like, yeah, I don't think I can keep going. And because I felt like initially I was like, well, then we should be done. And then I thought about it and was like, I'm, I can't, I'm not ready to do that yet. I still feel like there's some stuff in my heart. There's some stuff that I was even believing was still supposed to happen in some ways. And so um, I just wasn't there. And so to go on without really important people yeah. had to be like worth it in a sense. Yeah. Um, it wasn't like a financially worth it. It wasn't like a popularity thing worth oh, it yeah. even. It just was like, I didn't think we were done, but I was trying to honor the fact that we couldn't have done this without each other. And so I think right at that point, actually where JR and Eric felt like they, they weren't in a position to keep going. Um, I remember calling a mentor and asking, you know, man, I, I just told him, I just feel so upside down because I, I don't know how to do this without my friends, but I know I'm not done. And I know there's still some stuff that we can still do. Um, and I was just kind of, you know, in need of counsel, I was just in need of like advice. And he said to me, um, <clears throat> Tommy, like, you know, the ministry world is interesting, people, churches, businesses, whatever. And he said, no one, no one ever seems to have a vision for the end. Everyone seems to have a vision for the beginning, but yeah. a lot of people don't seem to have vision for the end. Make sure we launch well. Right? Thinking, yeah. What's up? Make sure we launch well. Yeah. Everyone's like, yeah. Into like, oh, it's going to do all this stuff. But like, yeah. the reality of the situation is, is, um, yeah, to actually have a plan for like when it's over. Yeah. Uh, and I thought that was interesting. And that was literally like, you know, 2011 or 12, really. It was like, it was in the midst of everything. Wow. And I remember thinking like, okay, well, I need to have a vision for the end. When it's the end, I need to have like an actual plan. And so that was before we put out finished people. We put out finished people, um, which was survival for me in a lot of ways. And then, you know, by the time we came through that we did the tour cycle there we like put that out we would just been sort of chilling and then it's you know 2016 2017 ish and um I just remember that kept ringing in my heart you know the whole time and so I remember we got to a spot where I just sat down with um Jeff and and Rookie our drummer and just said hey I think we should bring it in for a landing. And I think it'd be good for us to have a vision for how we're going to, how we're actually going to do this. And, uh, because there was a plan, I think it was easy for us to all kind of get on the same page, which actually helped, I think 
bring us together relationally in some ways that would have just sort of been disjointed a little bit. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, it was like, we had a, we had a European festival thing. We had like a couple spots and it was like, yeah, let's write another record. Let's put out, um, let's see if face down will let us land where we started. Let's, let's like really put it together and come back to where we, where we began and we'll end you know, 12 years to the date of our first show. And so our first okay. show was my bachelor that. party show. And I was like, we'll bring it in 12 years to the date. Wow. February 17th, 2018. And we'll be done. And we'll just see kind of how it ends up. And in the midst of it, because face down was so generous, they, they were going to give us a small budget for like a, like just, you know, a, a video or something like yeah. that, like something online. And we just asked if instead, if we could do like a documentary. And so, love it. you know, they just, it was just cool. You know, we got to yeah. put out a final record. We got to do farewell shows. We got to put out, you know, a, a small kind of creative film. And uh, in a lot of ways, we relationally, we had, we had the dudes kind of back where we were and um, we got to do it together. And I feel like it, it sort of ended in peace a bit. And that felt like, cool. This is how, this is how we should be doing it. Because I think I was, I was at a spot where I was like done, um, personally. Yeah. And so I think it it was, it makes it, it made it very easy to be like, no, man, we're good. Like we're good. Like at this point I'm, 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 I've labored through some stuff in this project and now we're, we're done. And people are like, Oh, are you going to come back? It's like, yeah. (laughs) <laughs> no man we're done like we were done we're done like that offering was special for that period of time how great um, how great were those final two shows they were crazy man the the fine i mean to be honest with you the 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 texas state was wild we had all like homies that came from all over the place we had dudes that flew out from california we had i was this like, close to getting the the dallas tickets and oh I, man it, it was sick it, we it, had didn't, it didn't work out but i wanted to yeah yeah we had, where are you at Darren? i'm in dodge city kansas so it, it had been kansas. about eight hours away but i was gonna make the trip for sure yeah it's sick man we had dudes yeah. that i i there's a kid that actually took a bus he, he took a bus to get there so that we could baptize him in the street he was like really struggling yeah and he slept he slept on the sidewalk the night before the show and then um, came in. We ended up going to the back. My homie Hob and his wife Anna, they're like rev leaders in Mexico. Yeah. They had come up from Mexico. And so they got to stand with me. We got to pray for the dude. We like baptized them behind the, in the alleyway behind so the good. show and stuff like that. So, I mean, there was like some really, there's some powerful stuff there. Uh, the, the second to last show was like so rad. Yeah. Um, the very final show at the glass house to me took on the, anxiety of a wedding where it was like there's a lot going on here yeah. and like yeah i'm not fully connecting to how this should feel um there's a lot of details we're working out you know i i was stoked because i had friends that came from salt lake city where i live and they, they were there my little brothers were there like i i looked out in the crowd multiple times was just like dude this was awesome um but the all the energy of like the, the backstage stuff was crazy. And so I was so grateful that we did the club date at chain reaction the night before. So yeah. I, but to me, yeah. the chain date was like, Oh my gosh, this is like the best thing ever. And then the glass house, like with everybody there 
was awesome, but I wasn't as connected. So I, I felt like I, I did the service. You of the blew last it. Time. You blew it. I, I do. Dude, know, but it's so funny because that last date, is it, is it for you? Is it for us? Is it, you know what I mean? I, like, I, I think, think there's it's all, that. I think all of it yeah. is for you guys. Like yeah. that's the, I mean, all of it was to create space for you guys. But you want to have a sense of closure, right? I mean, you want to well, yeah, end and that's well. The part. I yeah. felt like the club date. I felt like chain reaction was yeah. like the gift to me. Yeah, and that's then good. I felt like well, we showed up, we did our thing. Yeah, you know, we did. We we finished. That's like, good. We did it. I love it. Yeah. You guys have always been known. You guys were always known as a ministry band. Like sure. I, I heard, is that is that something that you cling to? Are you cool with that? I mean, how was that? Yeah, man. I, I, you know, whatever box it's like, it doesn't really matter. I think. What was um, the, what was the purpose? What was the purpose of sleeping giant? What purpose did it serve in the, in the world that is like hardcore music? Yeah. Well, I mean, when it started in a lot of ways, it was to, uh, it was, it was just a brag. It was, it was because we were stoked to me. It was a bit to like, I wanted to, I wanted to instigate a sense of, I, I wanted to instigate a, in Southern California, at least like in our tribe. Yeah. I wanted to make people feel proud of Jesus. That's good. Yeah. Like I just, I was so, I'm like so proud of him and I was blown away at how the, the, the larger church had so had reacted so poorly to yeah. hardcore kids that were getting saved and trying to go to church. It was just, they were just hitting the same religious walls and so then they it folded back in on itself and then people got real quiet about their faith because it felt like a movement and then it, we weren't accepted and yeah, and yeah, so yeah. i got saved watching a bunch of really quiet creative christians that were trying their best to let their music speak but they were done talking because it had all been sort of said and so it was this sort of subdued weird thing and then i really went through a crisis in my life and got got rescued and so for me i just wanted to i just wanted to i wanted people to be stoked uh that yeah. on how amazing jesus was and so and that galvanizes a room it, it 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 can inspire it can give hope it can so that was kind of all it really started as but then in a lot of ways in the in the sound journey um a lot of that was born from you know, devotion and worship that was taking place outside of the hardcore scene. And we just like, yo, all sound is designed for Jesus. And what would it really be like if we, if we really went after trying to do something, you know, with this sound and it, you know, it's a bit of a, Oh yeah. It's a blend and stuff like that. But yeah, like, so for, for us, it was, was that, but then in a lot of ways our, you know, we were planting, we had planted a small church and, we're planting other churches and stuff. And so we were like pastoring. We were a part of the local church from this subculture that we were a part of. And so we were very much like committed to the everyday Christianity kind of stuff. And so in that journey, if you're part of like a church family, you go through ups and downs just sure. as a Christian, you learn different lessons. It's not about what's on the stage. It's about, you know, what's happening off stage. And and so we, we were experiencing supernatural things like really powerful life-changing miracle type stuff from rough like rated r yeah settings and so that breakthrough inspired our writing it inspired our lyrics we brought that fire with us because we were experiencing it at home 
And then we just brought that That's with good. us. And, and so that, that was like the, the ministry part was like, well, if we're here, me as a person that wants to be proud of, of Christ, I'm going to give everybody here an opportunity to say yes to him or to think about it, you know, yeah. or just to know that he's an option. And so for me, it was like, I'm going to preach, I'm going to preach about my, st- I'm going to tell my story and I'm going to talk about Jesus at every show and we'll see what happens. Yeah. But then the dynamic of being able to actually pray for people, yeah. minister to people directly, listen to people, have conversations. Um, to us, that seemed like the most sincere and the most honest thing we could do so that we didn't just do it on stage and then get done right? and just leave it alone. That's good. And so lines of kids to talk to trying to really make church kind of happen there. Um, that right. felt like an honest thing. It, it could become kind of a spectacle, but for a lot of us, I, I really think that we were carrying a really high level of sincerity about it, even when we were like, you know, immature in it. So this segues perfect into my next question, which was in regard to your outside looking in, you know, like I said, I've kind of followed you guys from the beginning of the band. And one thing that I really, really admired about you, um, let's face it, you're the front man, right? You're the one that people know when you're the face of the band, your, your honesty and your, your willingness to just get real and raw, not just through your lyrics, but from the stage with a microphone in your hand. How important was that to the music, but also like just in your life and the things, because I want this to kind of lead into Rev community a little bit, but how important was it for you to be real and honest in the things that you do? I think it's incredible. I think there's no other option. If you're, especially in the hardcore scene, I just think, you know, be about it. Yeah. And and for me, I'm not about, I, I think, you know, there's a lot, and I've, I've probably, I've probably gone into a, probably strayed into a few different spots in all the years that I was sharing. But for the most part, I always tried to, I really always tried to at least even preach, even if I get like fiery or weird about something, I I always tried to come from, this is my experience, you know, and you can't take it away. It's mine. Yeah. Well, this is, yeah. And this is what I, this is what I got, you know, like, I don't know what else to tell you. I'm not here to necessarily sit in judgment on anybody. And I, I never got, super heavy. So for me, the idea was, um, I was living a lie when Jesus found me. Yeah. And so to realize how deceived I was, I felt like the best way for me to actually preach was to be honest. And, and that means my weakness, my fears, my hurts, my shames, my life. Like I will be vulnerable and I will be as transparent as I can be within reason Yeah. in a place where it's a hyper-masculine culture. Yeah. It's a very violent and angry and shame-filled space. It's a spot where everyone's trying to bring the best version of themselves for that room, but not everyone's being honest about who they are. And so to me, the idea of speaking from a place of honesty, from a place of reality and really being open to me, that's the most, that's the easiest way to disarm people that are going to think that maybe it's going to be the same thing, especially because I'm just as a band, we're just about to get really stupid in front of you guys. Like we're going to look really foolish. We are going to be like, we're going to be so Christian. It's going to be so irritating you got to know that we really believe it. And it's also not, that's good. It's not going to be normal. And so I think that's where I went. Well, this is my culture. I know this culture. 
and I know how, I know how guarded yeah. my own friends are. And so I'm just going to be the first guy to fall apart and yeah. then we'll see what happens. It really, it really de-weaponizes the, the, the naysayers. It, it de-weaponizes wow. any, almost like the whole, any weapon formed against me, you know, is like yeah. going to fall to the ground because this is who I am kind of thing. That's well, good. again, it's like, and Jesus's goal is to connect people with him by people. And so I, I think anything that would turn people against each other is anti-Christ because they think he's like, yo, you're my own, like we are his only, Yeah. We're, you know, we're like such a, pro, not his only, but like we're the only, like we're the only yes. magic that he's got That's in the good. room. So it's like, for me, I just think I've got friends that don't agree with me and don't believe in what I believe in. But it, it's like, I got, you know, I got friends that say, you know, Hey, you know, <laughs> there's a, I have a friend of mine who, who a news reporter came to his house and there's all these people there and uh, he's leading this study and it's full of people in the inner city. And there's like, you know, all these, like there's thug people, there's people from, you know, what we call like alternative lifestyles. There's all these different people there. And he goes to this couple to see two girls and he goes, so how long have you been coming to the, the Bible study? And they go, Oh yeah, about like a year and a half. And they go, cool. He's like, that's awesome. And like, you guys are, you know, married or whatever. And they're like, yeah. And he goes, well, how, you know, how long have you been, how long have you believed in Jesus? And they go, we don't believe in Jesus, but we believe he believes in Jesus. Wow. And like, that's the thing of like, if you, if you, Jesus creates these environments where you can belong before you get it. Yeah. And, and even if you don't get it, you belong. And yeah. like, so for me, I just think if I can create the space that goes like, yo, you don't, we don't all have to agree even about something that's so important to me that it, it's crushing to my heart to think, of how much pain people can live in without God. Like it blows my mind, Right. but you can come with me. You can be with me. Even if you, even if you don't necessarily want to be with him, you can come be with me. And this is my story. And this is where I'm at. Hopefully that invites people into the journey. Even if, even if they don't exactly know where they fit in it. That's um, good. So let's talk about the Rev community, man. What is it? Yeah. What is that all about? Well, yeah, man, it's, you know, I started, I planted a church in Southern California when I got saved. I didn't, you know, and that, and that church was called Tithemi. And uh, I started that and that was kind of just like a place for people like me when I was in Death Star and like when we were doing shows in Southern California and stuff, it's like I got saved basically and did not trust or believe in kind of the religious system. I didn't, I didn't really didn't have that. And so I just knew there was kids getting saved at our shows and, and, and around and they needed a place to go. And so I'd started a Bible study, turned into like a small church in California. My, uh, my oldest daughter, um, her mom moved back to Salt Lake City with her. And so I moved to Utah. When I moved back to Utah to be with Marin, Eric, uh, our guitarist, took over leading Tiffany. Okay. And so I was in Salt Lake just kind of like chilling. And I'd started a ministry uh, and um, was just sort of going to go out itinerantly and talk. I was just trying to figure out how to do this. And we started a Bible study in Utah. And then that turned into, it was called Revolution Reality Ministries. So, you know, that's too long. That's a really bad name. And so people would just say, are you going to rev on Wednesday? And so for a while, rev was just like our ministry in Utah. And then it was like my itinerant thing. Like it was, yeah. But then what ended up happening was we started getting prayer and kind of like almost like prophetic encouragement from people that was like, yo, I think people, the picture was David at the cave of Adullam. And, and they said, I, I see mighty men, you know, people coming to you from all over the place. And they said, I, I wouldn't be surprised if people from other cities and even other countries came to you asking for help. Wow. And so the first email I got was through Facebook. It was my homie Javier. And it said, Tommy, I didn't know what else to do. So I started a Bible study in the back of my tattoo shop. 
can you help me? And so there was like, you know, a home group in New Zealand and there was a tattoo shop in Mexico. And then there's like a dude in Minnesota and there's a guy in California and there's like, and just, it started happening. And all of a sudden it's not like huge or anything, but just like, they're important people to me. And so it was just like this thing. So Rev went from, you know, Tommy and Chrissy's thing to the Rev gatherings, which is now sort of a tribe of small group leaders and evangelists and and prophetic people and pastor people and teacher people that are kind of all over the world at this point. And um, they are, you know, pursuing Jesus in their own way. Some of them are leading ministries. Some of them have made, you know, their family, their ministry, they're, they're, they're launching businesses, they're growing. They're just, it's like church and discipleship for leaders. And so the Rev gatherings is now kind of a, a community of people that are committed to seeing what is going to happen church wise in the next generation. And so, um, it's sort of a, it's a bunch of people from all over and they're all awesome. Yeah. I love it. I love it. I've heard you talk about them and you sound very passionate about your people. I think that's, yeah, they're great. They've, like, they've helped save, they've helped save me and Chrissy Green's life. Quite yeah. a few times. Yeah. How hot, how hot is your marriage, bro? It's so good, bro. Here's the thing though. You know, we had like this grace on us when we got married, you know, Chrissy and I both, we had been married when we were younger and we went through like really bad things. And and so then to be married to each other, you know, statistically we're destined to fail for sure. You know, it's, and but we had this real connection in the spirit and we really felt like we really liked each other. Right. So there's a certain level of grace on that. That's cool. But we've really like taken our marriage and our connection pretty serious, you know? Yeah, and so man. in a lot of ways we we've, we've met with like a dude whose name is uh, Glenn and he is a dude out in Nashville. He does like marriage connection. He's a, uh, he's got a PhD in clinical sexology. So he like helps couples really stay connected, yeah. like body, soul, spirit, like, yeah. he's, and he's a really good dude. So anybody that wants to help breathe life into our marriage, dude, we're down. Bring it so on. we took it real serious cause we really liked each other, man. And, and, we have kids and stuff, you know, so yeah. I'm just, I'm a big fan of how amazing or how deep marriage could be. Yeah. And so I think that's kind of the journey me and Chrissy Green are on. So yeah, man. Shout we, out to we, Chrissy Green. Shout yeah. out to Chrissy Shout Green. Shout out. Dude. She's the best. She really is. She's an incredible human. She so, sounds yeah, cool. Sure, she sounds cool. She's great. Okay. Let's talk about run against traffic. I know the story. I've heard you talk about oh, it. Yeah, yeah. I actually... I listened to you when you were on Sean Bowles's podcast, bro. And you got, mm. you got extremely emotional yeah. t- telling this powerful story and it broke, it broke me, man. It really mm. did. And this is a topic. This is something that I never really gave two thoughts about, you know, because wow. it doesn't happen here or it doesn't, doesn't happen oh, okay. across the street because I was just unaware but when I heard your story and I heard like the passion that you're putting behind this effort and this, this new thing for Tommy Green, I'd like you to share a little bit about that, about how this started, if you don't mind. I know it's mm-hmm. a, long, a, a long, hard story, but if you could maybe kind of give me an insight as to where this run against traffic came from, what it's all about. Well, you know, it's really interesting. Um, I, I was not... I really wasn't aware of what human trafficking even was until 2009. Um, I wrote a song about it for Sons of Thunder right after I had found out. Um, and so we, had a song, we wrote a song called Descending Into Hell. Yeah. And that was like probably four months after I met a dude 
his name was Derek and him and his wife had adopted a bunch of kids. Um, they had two of their own and then they'd rescued four or five other children, um, some girls and some little boys from different parts of the world. And, uh, he was a worship leader guy and just, he was a boss. And when he started sharing about it, I was just blown away that it was a thing. And, uh, my daughter, Marin, I think was like six or seven at the time. And so I'm looking at this little girl going like, no way. Like I could not believe and at the same time, I could totally believe it because I just know it's like, this is an issue within, you know, people, you know, and this is, this is a broken thing. And so anyway, so I found out about human trafficking and we ended up running this Salt Lake city marathon, um, about a year later and our Facebook group, my friend Carrie had said, let's start a Facebook group. And it was just like three or four of us. And we were just trying to raise, you know, a few hundred bucks for this dude's human trafficking ministry. We were just going to give it to him. So our Facebook group was actually called run against traffic. So there's some other people doing stuff out here in Utah. And it was like, cool, let's just like support these people. Like, so that was on our radar. Yeah. Years later, I start a YouTube channel for Sleeping Giant. And just to stay connected with our fan base and like preach a little bit, just be available. And through that YouTube channel, uh, Chrissy and I were actually contacted by a 15 and a half year old teenager from France, which I didn't believe at all. I thought it was all like a scam and a joke. Yeah. And uh, we ended up getting her connected with a rescue organization in her area. She's taken out of her home. Um, the counselors contacted us and said, yeah, there's some bad stuff going on. You know, can you be there for her to talk to her? She doesn't want to talk with us. Um, and so we're just blown away that we're even in the midst of this story. She went through a horrific um, chain of events. And, and she essentially went from being like, you know, high class kind of, you know, French countryside sort of family um, to a broken home, essentially, you know, death in her family, orphaned. And then uh, unfortunately, someone in her family came and took her out of the organization and trafficked her uh, to a brothel in Paris. She was found with like, I can't even remember, it's like 14 other little, like young teenage girls. And uh, she was drugged and she'd been, she'd been raped multiple times in like a day and a half and, and was just a mess. She ended up uh, getting pregnant and having uh, a miscarriage after that. Then she was just radically sick, um, had no family and was back at this organization that she had essentially been sort of stolen out of. And they, they didn't know what to do with her. They, they were upset with her for, you know, them getting busted, essentially. You know, they, they were the bad guys to me in that one. Yeah. Um, and so it was just a horrible situation for this like 16 year old kid. Um, one of the people that was in charge of the organization ended up sexually assaulting her uh, for months. And we ended up coordinating another effort and had a different organization come and take her out of that. And she was so, so badly affected by the prolonged abuse and neglect um, that she actually ended up passing away. Uh, this all took place within a year. So that, that was really intriguing uh, for, for us to watch from the U S and, and the powerlessness of feeling like, yeah. man, we're, we're trying to get these people safe. And if you, if you try to get them out and they, and they don't have the resources to get their life put back together again, it's just insane in yeah. the midst of it, because she was so on her own, you know, Chrissy and I were both, thinking maybe we could potentially make her part of our family. Maybe we could adopt her and you know, that, you know, she's, oh, yeah. it's, it's Europe, you know, it's like a whole nother thing. Yeah. So it was wild. So we, we lost her and then 
um, I was at an event uh, about a year later, year and a half later. Um, it had actually been like maybe 15 months or so and since she had passed and I was on a run. And I had a friend that started a skate park in Nebraska. And to start his skate park for youth in, in Nebraska, he skateboarded across the state of Nebraska and talked about it at schools. And I was like, whoa, that's cool. It's I'll flat. It's flat enough, bro. That's it yeah. Would, it's just wild. It would work. I mean, yeah. He did it. And so, uh, I just knew him and, and, you know, I, I, at that point I was thinking about going out to talk at schools and he's like, dude, you know, you just got to go out there and share. And I'm like, okay. And so I, you know, I was thinking about it. So I'm on this run and I, um, I hadn't thought about this girl for a while. I mean, it was really traumatic. It was, it was a crazy story for us. And, uh, I didn't believe it until she, you know, much, much, much later in the story. If it wasn't for Chrissy Green being a consistent and having that mother heart, I think I would have lost the opportunity to bear witness to how horrific this was. I, I would have checked out because of my own selfishness and my own, like, now nah, I'm not interested. This is a joke. Like this can't be real. Um, and if it wasn't for Chrissy's character, I, I, I just, I would have been, I would have been able to disconnect from yeah. it. It was so outlandish to me what was going on. And so, um, we go through this as a family and then it's been a year and, you know, change. And I haven't really thought about it that much. And I'm on a jog for the first time in a while. And all of a sudden I just get this kind of like thing of like, Oh my gosh, like I couldn't skateboard, but like, would I ever run across the state? Yeah. And then I, it's almost like I'm going to run across the state. I'm going to talk about her at schools. We're going to write it down in a book. It's going to become a bestseller and we're going to rescue a bunch of kids. Yeah, and I yeah. just lose it. And I get home and I'm like, dude, I think, I think I can do, this thing that my friend Mike had done. Like I can, yeah. so I call him. I'm like, yo, I'm going to do this thing. And, and he said, write that book and run your butt off. And so I just decided I'm going to run from the top of Utah to the bottom of Utah in October of 2018. And so this is like, you know, a year before or something like that. Yeah. And I don't know how to do that. I'm not a good runner. Right. I've only run one marathon. I like running on tour, but that's sounds, like a few miles. It sounds time. awful. I'll just yeah, say, it's just like, yeah, whatever. So, you know, I started training and, uh, ended up completing the run in October of 2018. Um, and it was 430 miles from the top of Utah to the bottom But the goal was I was going to complete this run and I was going to try to tell people about it so that I could look at the multitudes of, of men and women and children all over the country and say, I ran across the state would you join us and just yeah. run around the block? Would you do a 5k? Would you do a half? Would you do a marathon? Would you run with us? Because the vehicle of running, you get something out of it personally. I mean, it'll change your life. If you're, if you're struggling, oh, yeah. you, you'll learn so much and you'll grow and you can lose weight. And like, it's, it's such a beautiful and powerful thing, but the vehicle of running in community you just see it. You can raise millions and millions of dollars for whatever cause is out there. And so yeah. I thought we thought we were going to have to put on our own marathons. And then we realized, no, like our goal is to get people involved so they can feel like I don't even know what to do about human trafficking. Yeah. And I thought, well, buy a shirt and tell your friends and go for a run and let's, let's start the biggest charity fundraising anti-human trafficking team that the world has seen and let's raise millions of dollars and give it to the good guys because if you rescued all of the millions of people that have been 
trafficked through force, fraud, or coercion. If you rescued all of them, there's not enough places for them to go. And there's not enough resources to put all the broken people back together again. If we don't do this together, like there's just not enough for one government or one state or one organization. Like it's just such a big problem. It's going to take all of us. And so running against traffic initially started as an attention getting thing for Chrissy to tell the story of this beautiful human that we lost. I just wanted, I told her I would do her justice before she died. And then I realized that it was Chrissy's story to tell, not my story to tell, because I had sort of opted out of, of the honor of it. Yeah. And really it was Chrissy. And I said, well, Chris, this is Chrissy's story, not my story. I'll run and then yeah. she can write this thing because she treasured this in her heart. Um, and that's how it started. But then in the process of it all, we realized that the vision and the mission of Run Against Traffic is to create the largest fundraising charity running team in the human trafficking space to fund the recovery and long-term aftercare of all of its survivors. And so that's what I was going to ask. What does, what does the money go to? Like when you give to an organization about trafficking? Yeah, there's, there's organizations. uh, Some of them just have really large aftercare networks and they need a lot of resource for that right now. But the, the, the opportunity that's in front of us is there are people in all 50 States, different provinces in Canada, like putting together aftercare homes, people either have all the money they need, but they don't have the right licenses or they don't, they have all the licenses, but they don't have any funding. And the country makes it very difficult because if you just could get paid to get people at your house, that's where people abuse kids. That's where, you know, so there it's very highly regulated. So this has got to be like organizations, churches, governments, people, like it's got to be like, it's a 10 on one beating. Like we all have to jump in and beat up the bully and that's how it's got to go. So the money goes to um, established or developing long-term aftercare programs. So it's not just for like education or advocacy. Like a lot of people know about that. There's tons of really amazing organizations, but what we saw was in the aftercare is where stuff falls apart. And that's the problem that we fell in love with. Like, how can we help other people solve this? Because like you said, I have a high level commitment to my sexual connection with my wife there's horrific things that happen sexually to these people. I don't know if I always have all the shelving to handle that. I need like counselors and lawyers and doctors to like do what they do so we can run and write them checks and go, please do what you can do. And we will do what we do over here. Um, Because I'm not, I I don't have the full, you know, I would probably die if I had to take in everything. It's like, so anyway, so for us, it's like we will be the runner people, and we will mobilize sure. people to run. Well, and I so think that's the, I think that's awareness the- is like huge for this type of you know we can talk about racism and mm-hmm. something like this. There's not a person, there's not a good person on the planet that's cool with the truth about this crap about trafficking. Well, I think the problem well, is like with me, I just didn't I didn't know it was a thing. I didn't know it was something that took place in my town. Yeah. It's like, well, it's one of those things where I I live in Salt Lake and I'm working with uh, the organization that handles that and with the attorney general's office and like all this guys. And uh, one of the caseworkers, she said, what high school did your daughter go to? And this is in downtown Salt Lake city. And I told her the name of my daughter's high school. And she said, yeah, I have like five open files right now of kids from the school. 
because it looks different. If you go to Thailand, you go to oh, yeah. Cambodia, you go to like some of these other places, you know, there's just women out front of a bar. And yeah. It's just part of the culture. And it's like, man, that's a bummer. If you, and you look at the old West, it's like, oh yeah, there's prostitutes and booze, whatever. Yep. In America, it looks like maybe there's a family that's struggling to make ends. And so the grandma, the grandpa, the mom, the dad, the aunt, the uncle will put the child out as a prostitute and bring them home at night so that they can make ends meet. So just, it looks different yeah. here. It's just different here. Yeah. And so um, you're exactly right though. If you were to ask people, you know, the, the gateway into a lot of the stuff that, that the police have to enforce with like, police are not able to look at this stuff through any other lens than a criminal lens. They can't, yes. they don't have the ability to, ha- to take the trauma informed patient, compassionate, restorative view, even though I wish we could with our justice system, I want to see restorative justice. I don't just want to see punitive justice. If you see a woman on the street and she's 20 and she's, a, she's, it gets busted for prostitution and drug offenses. There's a very good chance that she started before when she right. was a minor because yeah. she got put out by a partner or boyfriend or so she made some decisions before any of that. Yeah. And if she's 16, we have more compassion. If she's 18 That's and good. a half, it's like go to jail. And so there's a lot of, in America, we have that, you're sure. blurring a lot of lines and that's tricky for people to realize. Like these are people, yeah. all of these people are people, the yeah. traffickers and the traffickees are humans. And that's so good. different responses, but it just looks different in the U S. And so anybody you talk to in your church, they know somebody that knows someone that's gone through it. Yeah. I guarantee, I just yeah. guarantee it. You are not that far away from someone who has been trafficked. Yeah. Um, even under your nose, it yeah. could just be happening right in front of you. Um, well, that's good, man. And I appreciate, I appreciate you doing what you can do. That's one thing about you, man. I feel like you have stewarded the platform that you've been given so well. Again, oh, again, I don't know you personally, but just outside looking in, thanks, Darren. you're a guy who has stewarded what the Lord's given you as a responsibility so mm-hmm. well through the honesty, through the the courage and just going after stuff, man. And, I, I value that. I appreciate well, that. And thanks, I thank you for yeah, for that, man. for what that means. I don't know, but thank you for no, that. It's, it means a lot, bro. Cause again, we're I'm a full culture person, you know, like I'm from a subculture and I, I, I don't, I, I get the bigger world around me, but I'm from the hardcore scene and I'm a hardcore kid. And yeah. it's a culture that I both love and hate depending on the day, yeah. but it is, it's the place that I've been kind of given. And so I really appreciate you saying that I took, I took my tribe as seriously as I could is what I would say. Tell me about Rev Talks podcast. I know that's, Oh yeah, man, we just kicked it off. Yo, we, we're going to be doing that. Um, I'm just realizing that the digital, the digital tribe thing is a real thing that a lot of people that are searching, you know, I had a mentor who had a dream and in the dream, um, he walked up to, there was a woman that came up to him in the dream and she said, uh, look for the church whose face. And she waved her hand in front of his face. And he was like, what? And, um, she said, look for the church whose face. And she went like that and he came, popped out of the dream and the Holy spirit spoke to him and she said, you need to be on alert. You need to look for the church whose face is changing. Wow. And so, and that was probably 15 years ago. And so when I met him, I took that to heart and was like, cool, I'm probably going to be a part of that changing face <laughs> of the church. Yeah. And so in a lot of ways, like even where we're at right now, um, I'm not out to be a popular like Instagram pastor necessarily, or like a, I really love people to people content. I like when people come over to my house for dinner. Like that's, yeah, yeah. 
that's riches to me. But I'm realizing that there's a lot of people that interactions online is their primary form of connection. And so I just think that in some ways, like the Rev DNA is small home group, small churches, people being with each other. And so we're going to facilitate every part of this that we can. But um, the Rev Talks uh, initially was supposed to launch in January before all this stuff kind of popped off. And so we just recently launched the Rev Talks podcast. And, you know, it's me and my homie, Johnny uh, Giovanni, who is a pastoral prophetic council. He's like pastoral and prophetic team from Expression 58, which is Sean Bowles' church. But he's just a comic. He's a performer. He's like one of my favorite people. Um, Whenever I was away on the road, if Chrissy Green was having a hard time, I'd be like, Johnny, just call Christy and make her laugh. And he just called. Do the thing. Do the thing. He's just the best. And so anyways, very intelligent, super good dude. And so we joked about it. And so uh, we're co-hosting it and then we'll do interviews and stuff. So hardcore people, probably pastor people, faith people, not faith people. Like we're just going to have yeah. guests on. So um, I know it's live on Spotify. I think it'll be up on Apple pretty soon here, but the Rev Talks podcast, this is just going to be an extension of kind of our community. So, yeah. I want to encourage the people to check out Rev Talks podcast. They can do. do all the stuff, all the download, all the, yeah, the share subscribing, sharing, Come on. Yes. Yeah, do it. share the love. So, Tommy. Thank you, sir. Thank you, Darren. I appreciate you and uh, bless you. Thanks, bro. And what you're doing. All right, buddy. Talk to you later, man. Thanks. If you would like to help Tommy in his fight against human trafficking, please go visit irunagainsttraffic.com. Irunagainsttraffic.com. You can donate. You can give. You can hear Tommy tell the the amazing longer version of the the story of how this got started is a powerful, powerful testimony about God's goodness and God's leading Tommy to to take on this fight. So check it out. Again, irunagainsttraffic.com. All the money, all the support goes to fighting this horrific thing that's going on in your world. This is going on in your world too. Human trafficking is real. It is a thing. And it probably needs to have more of our attention so that we, like Jesus, can destroy the works of the devil here on planet Earth. And this is one of the ways you can do it. I run against traffic.com. Give